1: I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. This is all about
2: trust now and personal responsibility and just being careful and not being selfish. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it.
3: The idea of an irreversible move was taken off the table. You can't do that when you have no idea where the virus is going to go.
1: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics.
3: I'm Roger Hearing. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. More teenagers in the UK are soon to be offered a COVID vaccine. We're expecting ministers to approve advice from the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation. Recommended healthy over-16s be offered a jab. They're currently only offered to over-12s with underlying health conditions or those who live with others at high risk. Now also in Scotland today,
1: Nicola Sturgeon has announced that most of the COVID restrictions in Scotland will be lifted on Monday and Boris Johnson's there today. He's beginning a two-day visit to Scotland but he rebuffed an invitation from the First Minister to meet her and discuss the pandemic recovery. Boris Johnson suggested a joint meeting with other UK First Ministers at a later date. Well joining us now is Wendy Chamberlain, Liberal Democrat MP for North East Fife and the party's Chief Whip. Wendy, thanks so much for being with us this this morning um, let me ask you first uh, in terms of the restrictions that nicola sturgeon has announced the, res- the lifting of them of course um is it the right time to do that do you think
2: well i think what scotland has always done has uh, proceeded more cautiously than uh, particularly the uk government in relation uh, to england and what we are seeing is it's summertime. the scottish schools have been out for uh, over a month now we uh, finished at the end of june and we have seen a peak in Scotland at the beginning of July that has now de- uh, gone; is now decreasing. And uh, so it does feel like this is part of the roadmap that the Scottish government has, ha, has laid out, and that we are moving in the right direction, but uh, more cautiously. What I would say as a Scottish MP at Westminster is the challenge for me is I'm dealing with constituent casework on a regular basis where there is confusion between what the UK government is doing and what the Scottish government is doing. And that's particularly true in the case of international travel.
3: Looking broadly over the past uh, 16 months or so, has Nicola Sturgeon done a better job than Boris Johnson in dealing with uh, the pandemic?
2: Well, it's interesting. I think from a communication perspective, you cannot say fault the First Minister in Scotland for the way that she has approached obviously the regularity of the briefings. Um, the clarity of the briefings um, and um, the information that's been provided. But I think when you actually look at the actions that the Scottish Government have taken, uh, uh, you know, in comparison to the UK Government, we've had a number of the same issues. We are moving beyond level zero here in Scotland, whatever uh, that, that, that means. But actually, it's the same restrictions in the main that are being removed. We've had the same issues with care homes. We've had the same issues, albeit the success of the vaccination rollout, we've had some of the same issues around take-up in the younger age groups. The Scottish Government persisted in sending out its blue letters to send everybody an invite to vaccination. And we saw with the younger age groups that that just didn't work. And as a result, we moved more slowly towards the drop-in centres that I myself was able to take, uh, take the opportunity of getting my second JAG at last week. And obviously you'll hear me saying jag as opposed to jab, which
1: is a bone of contention too. Okay, well, jags or jabs. I suppose one of the <laughs> things is to get them into uh, younger people, because that's been a massive issue. Uh, in the in England, there's now a talk about having uh, teenagers getting their jabs, possibly from uh, fairly soon, uh, 16, 17-year-olds. There are some calls for it, for even 12-year-olds upwards. Uh, what should be the policy in Scotland?
2: So I think the policy in Scotland should be, as far as possible, we should be having a four-nations a four approach to give that consistency and, and clarity. I think it's really difficult to give certainty given that we're dealing with COVID, but, but clarity and certainty is, is, is something we should be aspiring to. So from my perspective, it's very much the JCVI has previously looked only at 18 years and above. 12-year-olds, as you've rightly said, for, for more vulnerable groups or those looking after more vulnerable groups. But the JCBI is revisiting it and we are looking at 16 And um, that's absolutely something that myself and the Liberal Democrats would support. And I would encourage the JCBI to keep looking uh, at the data and, and also keep looking at what other uh, governments are doing. We see the US is, is, is jagging in um, those 12 uh, year olds and upwards as well. So, um, you know, we are still very much at the forefront of dealing with this virus. And that's why I think what the scientific, the scientific data is telling us and the scientists are telling us is what we should be continuing to pay attention to.
3: Big announcement in uh, Westminster tomorrow on uh, travel restrictions, COVID travel restrictions uh, for foreign trips. Do, do, what do you want to see from that f- firstly? And do you think it makes sense for uh, Scotland and the, the other parts of the UK to have their, their own rules on, on tr- leaving the country?
2: Uh, the reality is, is, in Scotland, it's pretty much the same as the other parts of the, the, the UK, and indeed, actually, uh, sometimes following a couple of couple of weeks behind. But there's no doubt. Again, going back to my constituent casework, we have people who, for work purposes, um, or for travel purpo- other other travel purposes, fly into, for example, Newcastle Airport is always popular with Scots. Um, but potentially different rules applying. So, again, we want to have that consistency and uh, 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 certainty. And from a UK government perspective, this just seems to be where the Cabinet are sort of airing their different opinions in public, which just causes confusion. So we uh, had trailed the different, um, the different amber lists, the amber watch lists, and then it was clear that that uh, was just going to cause more confusion. And it looks like Grant Shapps was taking the blame for that um, because his Cabinet colleagues are quite happy to turn on them when that confusion arises. And what that doesn't do is it doesn't help consumers, um, it doesn't help the travel industry, and the Liberal Democrats have been calling for support to the travel industry, additional support as furlough, etc. comes to an end. And, uh, you know, it must be incredibly frustrating for those working in that sector to be dealing with that, say, that, that uncertainty. Some of it's out with the government control, but there's
1: plenty that we could be doing more to help with that. Wendy, uh, one of the things that you mentioned, UK government there, of course, uh, the, even the term UK government, uh, sits is strangely perhaps in terms of the amount of power now vested in Edinburgh. Now, Boris Johnson is in Scotland today, uh, perhaps waving the flag for the fact that he is Prime Minister of the United Kingdom uh, as a whole, but he's not a popular figure in Scotland, is he? And I mean, what could
2: he do to change that? Is it possible? <laughs> He's not a popular uh, figure in Scotland, but I Say, he's not a, uh, a popular figure in many parts of the UK. Um, I was in Chesham and Amersham for the recent by-election, and he was not somebody that was popular in the doorsteps at all. Um, I think, you know, one of the, the issues for, for me in relation to Boris Johnson is he's clearly not a supporter of, of devolution, and devolution is simply a fact uh, within the UK now. And for, for the UK to remain together and as a Liberal Democrat politician in Scotland, I, I believe that Scotland's place is, 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 in the, is best served in the UK. Um, he needs to start respecting uh, the, the different government set and that four-nations approach that is very easy as a sort of soundbite to off the We actually need to, to act on that. Now, I understand that he wants, potentially, the government to meet um, together as opposed to taking up Nicholas Sturgeon's invitation today, but uh, I think what we need to see is a more regular um, meetings taking place and actually what is being agreed at that meetings? I think it's right for the public to have that that, that that knowledge because what it does mean is the SNP have been very good at taking credit for a number of the things like the firm scheme, like the self-employment eh, eh, scheme and other monies that have come to Scotland and the other devolved nations and taking all the credit for that and because of the low opinion of Boris Johnson and this government, it's been very easy for them to do that. And for me, as a pro-UK politician, it, it's quite frustrating.
3: On that issue, bring us up to date with where we are with polling on independence. And also, when you think that the SNP will, will, will make their next push for a referendum, when, when when are they likely to go for that?
2: So I think what I would say is we are now not far away from hundreds days that the SNP used as part of a central pl- platform of their, their manifesto, in terms of delivering a number of things, our um, our sort of approach during uh, the election was to put recovery first. Other parties absolutely agreed with us, so we want to see that happening. So, a hundred days. Lots of talk about what they were going to do in that time. But I think when we come to look at it, there'll be failures on, 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 on delivery. Yeah. From an independence perspective, we know we saw an increase in support for independence at the earlier stages of the pandemic. But that has, uh, that has absolutely fallen away. And uh, we're now looking at uh, a majority in support of remaining uh, in in the UK. And uh, the Scottish Government have been very but, quiet uh, on independence of late. So um, I suspect that they are paying attention to the polls too. But,
1: But, Wendy, I mean, you mentioned the recent elections, and the truth is, with what you were putting over, the Lib Dems did not cut through in a big way. You you haven't dramatically increased your representation, Holyrood. Uh, You're not a party that perhaps has the position it once had. What are you guys doing wrong?
2: I I think you're absolutely right. I think there's no doubt that the constitutional question has been challenging uh, for the Liberal Democrats. And... as well as looking at Brexit. Now, you know, a majority of people in Scotland eh, voted to remain in the EU and the Liberal Democrats are, are, are still absolutely in, in that position. Um, I think for us, you know, a lot of the things that we stood for in relation to devolution evolution have been achieved and the Scottish people, Welsh people, those in Northern Ireland, have seen those, those benefits. Um, I think what I am very much hoping is We are now, our leader in Scotland, Willie Benny, has just stepped down after 10 years, leading us through multiple elections and referendums. We're obviously looking to who that new leader will be uh, later this month. And I think that's a real opportunity for a reset. I joined the party myself in 2015, so I'm very much part of that kind of new generation. And I'm very much looking forward to... I'm heading to Inverness today to provide support in a by-election to get that Liberal Democrat message out the doors. Because that local campaigning, that community politics, is something that we've had as a strength, and I hope very much we're able to build up again.
3: Are you going to put your name forward for the leadership?
2: Um, I can't be leader because I'm not an MSP. So probably not.
1: Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. Well, the majority of Whitehall civil servants won't return full-time to the office, according to the Times. Flexible working will probably become the new norm under plans that would cap some at two days a week in the office. Government departments are being left to decide whether or not staff should go back.
3: The future of NVIDIA's planned $40 billion takeover of Cambridge-based chipmaker Arm is in question. The UK is considering blocking the takeover due to national security concerns. Boris Johnson's been moving to protect critical national infrastructure. An arms position at the heart of the chipmaking industry also means the deal has raised red flags over competition.
1: And British holidaymakers going to Europe may be forced to pay in order to be allowed in. The EU is moving ahead with plans to pre-screen travellers entering the Schengen area in order to prevent the need for visas. It could cost visitors just over £6 to undergo those cheques.
3: Well, let's uh, speak now to Bloomberg Opinion columnist uh, Therese Raphael. Thanks so much for joining us, uh, Therese, uh, fresh from a trip to the US. Uh, Boris Johnson is also on a trip today. He's in Scotland. Michael Gove said recently that if, if there is clearly a settled will in favour of a referendum, then one will occur. Do you detect uh, some softening in uh, the Westminster government's uh, position on uh, Scottish independence? <laughs>
4: That's a little, but I think that's partly because the SNP has been uh, very quiet on the issue of independence since the May Scottish election. That was a big moment for the UK. Uh, The SNP interpreted it as a mandate uh, for another referendum vote, but since then, uh, there's, you know, no real movement on that front, Um, so, you know, I I think uh, the government feels uh, that it has a little bit more room to tell Scots, look, you know, if it's... it's your will in the future will grant a referendum they know very very well that uh scottish first minister nicholas surgeon has said that the priority is uh is is the coronavirus and that there would be no talk of a referendum uh, until the uh, crisis is passed. She's not defined when that would be. So I think there's there's a bit of wiggle room on both sides and of course Boris Johnson knows that there are a number of issues the SP has just not really addressed uh, to anyone's satisfaction. For example you know how you prevent a hard border with England, you know how quickly Scotland would be able to join the EU, uh, how would it move to a Scottish currency, all those questions that come up every time Time, there's serious discussion of a referendum and the SNP uh, will be discussing some of these in a uh, conference uh, that's coming up. But until then, I think the UK government is really all about emphasizing the importance of the union, the benefits that the union gives Scotland, and, you know, not trying to sort of rattle things by denying the idea of a vote, but sort of saying, look, if, it's, if it is a settled will of the Scottish people, in the future there will be a vote. Meanwhile, you know, let's talk about all the things you get from the union. And I think that, that's sort of the strategy here, as well as to point out the importance of uh, the coming COP26 conference on uh, on. on climate and sort of reinforcing uh that as a, as a major part of boris johnson's agenda
1: yeah because that really is very front and center it seems at least uh, of his government's concerns and putting it over a, a good position at least in terms of some of the uh, eco agenda issues but uh, but therese interesting i mean you're just back from the u.s you 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 had a sense i suppose of perhaps the different ways in which uh the united states is dealing with this and the way the uk is dealing with it just, just take us through what you saw
4: well, I mean, I think the first thing to say is obviously the U.S. is a very big country and uh, you, you can observe many differences between states and even within states in attitudes toward the virus. I mean, what struck me and I was only in I was in three different cities um, was, you know, just the attitudes toward masking and how you know, we always talk about this. Over here, but you really see it when you're in the States just how politicized um, masking and the virus is. So, you know, in some places. Uh, you know, you had people really resent those who walked around with masks and, um, you know, in other places, it it, it wasn't such a big deal. Uh, But I think what we're seeing now is that when I got there, I I landed in Boston, Uh, the Delta variant was just really um, uh, registering um, a pretty sharp increase in places like uh, Provincetown at the end of Cape Cod. And uh, so you began to see masks reappearing and, and you know, people there saying they hadn't seen them at some time. And, and you know, since I got back, um, you know, less than 48 hours ago, you now see, uh, say, the mayor of New York saying that vaccines will be required. Companies like Google and Apple and Netflix either putting on hold plans to reopen their offices or demanding employees be vaccinated. We heard Vanguard is paying employees to vaccinate. So, You know, all of these, these sort of questions around uh you know whether these the the attempts to induce people to vaccinate are working or whether more kind of compulsory measures are required now those are the sorts of debates we're seeing and you know maybe it's putting the uk policy into a more favorable light you know two weeks ago we had um a sort of quiet Freedom Day, um, you know, as, as Boris Johnson reopened and lifted restrictions and at the same time told people to be vigilant. And now the, the trend in the in the Delta cases, the low rates of hospitalization, it all seems to be vindicating um, the UK approach to sort of doing things a little bit more slowly, whereas the US parts of it seem to be more on the back foot and they're sort of scrambling to figure out um, ways to encourage more people to vaccinate in areas where vaccination rates um, are still too
3: low did, did you get a sense in the us that, that the delta variant is changing the, the debate is it is it causing panic or con, or concern there because we've had it here in the uk for some time but it's it's relatively new in the us isn't it
4: yeah i did have a sense that people were not you know, quite clear how to respond to it. And again, you know, areas where you have high levels of vaccination, there is less concern simply because all the evidence has shown that, um, you know, you're very unlikely to get a severe case of the disease if you've been double vaccinated, uh, let alone hospitalization um, and and risk of death. What they have noticed, for example, in San Francisco, the Delta surge appears to be largely in the 25 to 39-year-old age group. so millennials. They account now for half of all, new cases. And yet this uh, age group has a lower tendency to be vaccinated. So I think only about 66 percent were fully vaccinated. So a lot of the policy discussion has turned to the question of how do you encourage vaccinations among those who have resisted? And, you know, rather than, um, you know, reimposing restrictions for uh the society as a whole you don't really hear talk about that it's more about you know what do you do to get people vaccinated and really also about company policy how do you get people back to the office when you've got this risk of 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 delta and of course there are stories of people who are double vaccinated who get the delta variant and you know don't necessarily just get a mild case although that's you know that's still pretty rare
1: But that, of course, backs up what seems, I think, to many people, surprising how much there is here of of denialism over the COVID, over the vaccine. Is that also true in the US? I mean, there has historically been quite a lot of pushback against any attempt to uh, impose things from the centre on people. Uh, Is that growing? Is it staying the same? What's the mood amongst the the anti-vaxxers?
4: I think it's so heavily polarised that you have, you uh, you know, people tend to fall either into the category of fully bought into the importance of the vaccine as, as the key way to protect them from the virus. And those who either don't want to be, don't want to be vaccinated also not, uh you know have not bought into the protective value of masks and you know they they're really quite quite militantly against it and you know I don't know how you bridge that divide because um, it's so tied in also to political identity and to this notion of you know and, and to american notions of uh you know of liberty and you know people are very vocal about it whereas here i think you have more acceptance of government guidance um, in the uk particularly you know y- even though masks are not required you still see a lot of people wearing them indoors um there's just a sense of you know you know sort of you you want to be prudent uh, or at least you don't resent others who find that they they feel more comfortable with masking in the u.s it's 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 Look, everything is political, right? Um, so that's, uh, I think that's a real, really standing in the way of increasing vaccination rates and uh, protections in those areas where you don't have such high level of penetration uh, in vaccines. So that's, you know, while we're seeing a reaction now in New York, um, in San Francisco, um, and even some problems in Florida, which had gotten, you know, high levels of credit for um, lowering cases we're now seeing cases in hospitalizations rising there.
3: and something that i think the us is ahead of the uk on which is something that we've explored which is which is which is bribing people <laughs> to get vaccines I, I read that there are various different schemes in the us uh, on on that front
4: um yeah i mean the U- the us is now getting very creative in you know encouraging people to be vaccinated by you know either rewarding them um you know with lotteries or pay or payment or simply you know com- or you know simply requiring a vaccination as you know New York mayor Bill de Blasio is doing i don't think we're quite there yet in the uk but partly because vaccine uptake has been pretty good what they now need to do is trying to find ways to increase uptake in minority areas and particularly among young people who just don't perceive the risk of uh, getting ill to be that high, and you know may not want to take a few days off work if, uh, if if the jab makes them feel a bit unwell. So you know that's the challenge in in the UK, and I think uh, that's very mixed up in this question of you know whether people will be uh, driven back into into offices. And you, you, know, you just reported that in Whitehall uh, that may only be two days a week, so people may not feel that compelled to be vaccinated if that's the case.
1: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen
3: weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.